Subcutanean. This is a novel that changes for every new reader. No two copies are ever quite the same. This podcast is an unabridged recording of the version generated by Seed 01893. Chapter 5 The next few minutes unspooled with growing panic, more and more rapidly, like a harpoon line in a speared sea monster diving deeper and deeper. Nico said he'd never found any keys. As I tried to piece together the evening to backtrace what had happened, little details kept failing to add up. The vodka bottle, the movie quote, now he agreed with me, was baffled that I thought he could possibly get it wrong. He pulled out his phone and showed me the last text from his ex, four months ago. Despite these discrepancies, something felt right about the way we discussed them. We were back in sync again. The strained awkwardness and stunted conversations of the last week were gone entirely. It felt like he'd been away on a trip and we were just now catching up again, despite the fact that we'd been seeing each other all week. But when I told him where I'd been that night, about the fridge and the keys, it was like I'd punched him in the face. He bolted up, took a few paces, then collapsed into a chair, stricken. Oh shit, he kept saying. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. He wouldn't say anything else until I poured him another shot of vodka. The vodka we'd already finished, goddammit. And then the story started breaking out of him in sharp-edged pieces. Remember the night of the party? He looked drained. I didn't feel like talking to, you know, other humans, so I went exploring. Had a vague thought like maybe I'd find something interesting to bring back up and show you. He ran a shaky hand through his kinked hair. But something... He swallowed. Something happened, okay? And I got to the pool room, and I couldn't go back the same way. He waved a hand at my raised eyebrow. Let me just finish telling this, okay? He wouldn't say what had happened, but it made him take a sudden diversion, and after walking through unfamiliar halls for a few minutes, he found himself approaching the pool room door from the other direction. He climbed the ladder into the kitchen, but when he got there, he found the fridge not only unlocked, but open. The outer door, at least. He'd done the same thing I had, climbed inside, pulled the outer door shut, lost his light, pulled the other door open, and had climbed out with the same spatial confusion I'd had. I told him my theory about knocking the fridge around, but he shook his head. No, I don't think so. When my light went out, I was pretty deliberate with my motions, exactly because I didn't want to get turned around. I barely jostled the thing. And there's something else that makes me think. He swallowed, licked his lips. For a long minute, he couldn't meet my eye. Then he grabbed my knee as if to steady himself, looked over at me, looked hard. Ryan, man, this is going to sound crazy, but listen, okay? This place, this house. He looked around furtively, as if we were someplace dangerous and not the living room of our college crash pad, as if it could hear us. We're not where we used to be. This is a different place. Step off, I said, rejecting this at once. It's one thing to say there's a couple mirrored hallways down there, but there's not an entirely different house up here. There aren't clones of our goddamn roommates, a different street and sky, and... I trailed off because he was staring at me, miserable. I realized this was exactly what he thought was happening. Look, I said, worried and afraid. Let's go back right now. I'll show you the coffee stain. That proves it. We can find the other key and... I'm not going back down there. He pulled back his hand abruptly. I've been too damn terrified to even think about it after what I... He bit his lip, looked away, took the last swig of vodka. Tingles crawled down my neck. What you saw? Well, what was it? He didn't answer for a while. I thought he was trying to remember at first, then maybe that he was trying to forget. Finally, defeated, he told me. On my way down, before I got there, I started feeling off, like something was wrong. That happened to me too. I hid in a side room and waited, and after a while it just kind of went away. 
Yeah, he said weakly. Probably what I should have done. You know me, man. I ignored it. I kept going. And... He stopped, visibly shaking. Phantom insects crawled up my back. What did he see to rattle him this bad? That long hallway, without any doors. I was walking down it, and I saw another light. I sat, rigid. What the fuck? I kept walking, he went on, not looking at me. I didn't want to turn my back, get chased down. That sick feeling got stronger, sharper, but I couldn't stop walking, couldn't turn around. He took a deep breath. The light got closer. It was someone with a flashlight. They were coming towards me, just like I was walking towards them. I couldn't see their face. I just kept walking. I kind of hugged the right wall, and they hugged the left. The flashlight was right in my face. I couldn't see anything, until we were only a few steps apart. He finally looked up at me, forehead wet with cold sweat, like he was reliving that queasy sensation. My own stomach twisted. I couldn't breathe. Rye he said. I passed myself. I walked right past another me with another flashlight who looked as sick and fucked up as I did. And we both just kept walking. We didn't stop. I made it to the pool room, climbed the ladder, and went right through that fucking fridge to get farther away. And there is no fucking way I'm going back down there again. I swallowed. Dude, it was dark. You were messed up. Maybe you saw someone else down there, but what you're saying, man, it's impossible. Irrational, he laughed hollowly. Things are different here, on this side. I'll show you. What's the smallest bill you've got in your wallet? Uh, I don't know. Taken aback, I pulled out my wallet, rifled through the smaller bills. He smiled grimly at one of them, snatched it, held it up. Better hold on to this, because no one here's ever heard of one. What are you talking about? I said, annoyed. And over the next hour, he showed me. We poured through the dusty encyclopedia in our front foyer. We combed the magazine sitting in the house, dragged out Monopoly... We fired up the internet, all geocities and tedium in those days, and found pictures of cash registers, government websites, coin collectors talking about the history of currency. According to everything we could find, the U.S. government had never, at any point in its history, issued a $3 bill as legal tender. We stared at the one from my wallet with growing unease. Buchanan's familiar portrait stared back implacable. Nico tapped the portrait's chin. That right there might be the only one that exists in this place, wherever we are. We cobbled together a theory out of guesswork and dreams. If downstairs had two sides, two versions or halves or whatever, then Nico had passed into the other one that night of the party through the unlocked fridge. The Nico I saw stumbling out of the hall that night, sick and wanting sleep, was the wrong Nico, a different Nico, the one my Nico had passed in the hall. And that Nico didn't quite fit in. Everything was a little off about him, and from his perspective, I suppose, about me. But that Nico had found two keys. We had no idea where he'd found them, but if he'd passed through the fridge with one of them... And here I will compress the part where we open another bottle of vodka rather than accept the ridiculousness of this garbage fairy tale premise where a magical frigidaire is a gateway between worlds, slept it off, suffered through ugly hangovers the next day, and finally reconvened late in the afternoon with some aspirin. If the other Nico came through the fridge just before my Nico had, that could explain why my Nico had found it unlocked and open and was able to pass through. And earlier, if we followed this chain of logic, I'd been drinking from a different vodka bottle in a different house with that other Nico, the one with the keys. I'd stolen them and passed through to this side of downstairs, the wrong side, and maybe some other me had been doing the same thing, 
I only avoided him by my sudden detour when I sensed something wrong up ahead and ducked into the side room with the sheet-covered furniture to let him pass by. And now we were both in the wrong house, on the opposite side from where we'd started. And both of them are on the wrong side, too, Nico said, still wincing from the hangover. I licked my lips, head also still spinning, wondering if it would be okay to take two more aspirin. Or four more. But these other two, if they exist... I still couldn't quite surrender to this madness. The other two now have both the keys, right? Nico frowned. What do you mean? I left one in the fridge on the other side, our original side, when I went down last night, and the other, the bent one, on the counter, also on that side. They're both on that side. His face soured. And the door locked behind you. So there's no way for us to get back. Unless there are two keys on this side, too. No, you said the first one you tried didn't work, even though it looked the same? I think there's exactly two keys, one for each side. The other me ended up with both somehow. I guess if he found one and went through, he'd know right where to look for the second on this side. He took a breath, let it out. So yeah, you're right. They've got both keys. Unless they come back through, we're stuck here. We stared at each other. What does that mean? I finally asked. I have no fucking idea. But shit, man, I'm glad you're here. He ran a hand through his curls, face pale. I seriously wasn't handling this on my own. This whole last week, things weren't right. You weren't right, and I couldn't stand that, man. I was going crazy without you, doubting everything. You know how I get. Doubting who I even was. But this, this is... He waved his hand back and forth between the two of us, then knocked it on the table. You get me. We're tight. Yeah, in it together, I mean. It's good. I'm glad. I didn't say anything, but I didn't have to. I felt the same way, and he knew it. I slept in his room that night, in a sleeping bag beside his bed. He didn't want to be alone. I'd kind of wanted some time to process everything, but I didn't protest too much. I liked being his anchor. He kept us both up late, talking about random bullshit, rambling. It was okay. Everything was upside down. Old comforts couldn't hurt. We slept in the next day. Call me a coward, but buried in my sleeping bag, I could pretend I wasn't in the wrong universe. Things were definitely wrong. Now that I was looking, I couldn't deny it. Familiar people acted strange in a way you couldn't put your finger on. Colors seemed indefinably different shades. A vague sense of offness suffused everything, like a movie with the sound of frame out of sync. After looking more closely, things were off about my room. There was an unfamiliar dress shirt on a hanger. My copy of Samuel Delaney's Dahlgren was missing, along with all the other books of his I'd discovered after reading that one. It wasn't quite my room, I realized. It was someone else's. It was mostly little things, so we grasped at each quantitative difference, each change we could pin down. One night one of our housemates kept saying something I didn't understand. She was going on and on about getting a parking ticket, and kept saying it was the fourth fucking time it had happened. What's that word you're saying? Fucking, she clarified, unhelpfully. No, I said, count up in ordinals, you know, first, second. She blinked at me. First, second, third, fourth, fifth. Fourth. Instead of Ford. Things were different here. We didn't find too many obvious changes. I was pretty sure the vice president had a different middle name, though I wouldn't have staked my life on it. Postage stamps cost 35 cents instead of 33. Usually we weren't quite sure whether something had actually changed or we were losing our goddamn minds. We danced around it for a while, but finally the phrase came out. Parallel universes. But it didn't really satisfy. Why these two universes in particular, out of a supposedly infinite number... Why were they connected by a series of poorly decorated basement rooms and linked together by a refrigerator, of all things? 
At one point, feeling overwhelmed, I called home, not to tell Mom what was happening because I didn't want her to freak, just to hear her voice. But the answering machine said they were on vacation till the end of the month. This was doubly annoying, both because I hadn't heard about any long vacation and because we presumably meant her and my sister, and for some reason I hadn't been invited, which made me feel even more out of place and abandoned. I was three hours away, not on a different planet. Feeling rejected, I went record shopping, ill-advisedly adding a couple hundred dollars to my already terrifying credit card debt in exchange for a small stack of LPs. Lately, I'd gotten obsessed with sci-fi audiobook recordings. I found a few treasures at my usual haunts, Leonard Nimoy reading Ray Bradbury, and a six-record set of one of the Dune novels read by Frank Herbert himself, still shrink-wrapped. More and more, I only bought stuff in its original wrapping, unopened, sleeves protected from scuffs and wear marks, the records inside unplayed and undamaged, which is how I'd keep them. Dad was the one who got me into records, back when I was still a kid and he was the most amazing person in the world. He took me to Disneyland, just the two of us. I don't remember now why Mom and my sister weren't there. And we stayed late to see the Main Street Electrical Parade. And on our way out, way past my bedtime, he got me the record. My first record. I have eight different versions of that album now. Six still in their original shrink wrap. That first one I played so much it got scratched beyond belief. Had to be constantly nudged forward out of stuck grooves. The cardboard sleeve beat to hell and back. I've still got that one, too. I'd idolized Dad. He'd worked for the Department of Agriculture, which doesn't sound that glamorous, but was legendary in my mind. My understanding of his job was that he traveled around the country helping farmers grow food better, the food that everyone in the country ate, and to me that was as noble and heroic as being an astronaut. Because of his job, we had to move every couple years, and so I never really had any long-term friends, except him. My sister and I were never that close. Even as kids, our interests were too different. But Dad and I, we understood each other. We were always there for each other. Maybe it was because of what happened with Dad that I got so needy with my friendships later on, desperate to hold on to them. I either wanted to be your best friend in the world or not interact with you at all. That wasn't really a recipe for a healthy social life in high school. I had a few friendships here and there, but they didn't last. I'd cling too hard and people would drift away. Nico, I guess, was the first one who ever clung back. Thank God I had him back again. We stayed close, maybe inevitably, now that we were the only matching pair in this entire universe. It felt easy to be closer to him, for us both to need each other. It felt right. A relief from the wrongness all around us. He thought my airlock idea had legs. Downstairs was made from house stuff, hallways and empty rooms and appliances. A fridge was one of the few devices in that context that could maintain a seal. It was a cute concept, except it didn't actually explain anything. It took a long time to convince him we needed to go back down. Maybe we can just stay here and they can stay there, he said. So everything's off a little, so what? It felt way more wrong to get close to... He waved a hand. Him, whoever, my handsome twin. So maybe we should leave well enough alone, break the fucker up and never look back. Then the headaches started. They were odd headaches, not severe. A tinge of nausea and dizziness, like stepping off one of those fairground rides that whirls you around, and only a very distant pain. They came and went. I took them as an ominous sign. Nico said he'd been getting them all week. Oh, and they'd been getting stronger. So the headaches more than anything convinced us. We had to go back down, at least try to figure out what was going on, or at least how we could get back. Maybe the fridge wasn't the only connection. Maybe there were other keys, other doors. We'd barely started exploring. There was so much left. But first we had to solve what Nico called the mere paradox. He threw a spoon at me when I said this back to him. No, smartass, a mirror paradox. We're obviously in this creepy weird sink with them. We were in his room with the door shut, and he was pacing the two and a half steps of cleared floor while I lay on his bed thinking. Example, 
Me and the other Nico both went exploring on the same night. The other side, the other house, they were having a party that night too. We both saw that. The decor, uh, such as it was, was the same on both sides or close enough. He and I were so synced up that we got to the fridge only minutes apart. He beat me, so he came through first, and then we passed in the hall. He stopped pacing, shuddered, and drummed his fingers absently on a bulky MIDI keyboard propped up against the wall gathering dust. Two. A week later, both pairs of us end up getting drunk off vodka on the same night. Oh, there's these little differences. One side finishes the bottle, the other doesn't. And this me didn't get a certain text message that night. But both versions of you decide to go exploring. Again, you get to the pool room only minutes apart. For the most part, it's like we're staying in a kind of lockstep, despite the superficial differences. Your conclusion, Professor... If we go down to explore, they will too. We meet in the middle and bam, he shook his head. Exactly what we don't want to happen. He saw I was still confused, so he scribbled two arrows on his whiteboard, pointed right at each other. The fridge is the connection point, the only way each pair of us can get back, so far as we know. But if we go back there, so will they. It's like we're trapped on two sides of a mirror. We each want to touch it, but we can't do it at the same time. Would it really be so bad? He glared down at me. You don't trust that feeling? I got a lot closer than you, and man, it was the worst. I don't know what was causing it or why, but every part of my body was screaming something was wrong, was sick, was going to harm me. He sighed and flopped down next to me. So meeting ourselves is out. No choosing between having to fuck or fight yourself. Which would you do? I would definitely fuck myself, he said solemnly. You? I wrinkled my nose. Ugh, neither. I think both of us would take one look at each other and back away in mortified embarrassment. Sounds about right. So, if we can't get close to each other, but trying to cross through will bring us together, then what do we do? Okay, so we explore at random, I set up. Every branch, we roll dice. Even if the others are in sync and pick the same time to explore, they'll go down different paths. He shook his head. I think the lockstep runs deeper than that. Even randomness could be part of it. The coffee stain, remember? We both passed the one on this side coming out. That's what made you assume you were in the same place. Because it was identical, right? If both versions of me spilled coffee and both made exactly the same stain, I bet dice would fall the same way too. How do we know it's identical? Did you really stop and look that close? That got him. Nico would jump off a bridge to win an argument. A few minutes later, we were headed back down the stairs, keeping up a forced light banter. It helped that the coffee stain was close to the surface and far enough away from the fridge that even if the others went down at the same time to look at their stain, we'd be nowhere near each other. No one had cleaned up after the party. In fact, the other housemates had stopped coming down here at all, inexplicably. So there were still Christmas lights and red plastic cups strewn around the big room. Weirdly comforting. We retraced our first trip through the upper hallways to the coffee stain and got down on hands and knees to study it. I immediately felt foolish. This won't prove anything. We never looked at the original this close. I shrugged. I don't know. It looks the same to me. But exactly the same? Nico bent closer, excited. No, I don't think so. I don't remember this trail of droplets off to the side here, do you? We argued about it for a few minutes, but it was like grabbing soap in a bathtub. I'd read enough textbooks about memory and perception to know neither of us could accurately recall specifics of the other stain. It was weeks since we'd seen it, and the details hadn't seemed important at the time. I got up, shaking my head. What is this even meant to prove? Does it matter if they're identical or not? It matters, he said emphatically, because if it's exactly the same, then the two sides are in total lockstep. We can't do anything different from them, and they can't do anything different from us. But if the stains are different, even just a little, then there's a chance to break out of the pattern, do something unique. That could be huge. But we already know we're not in sync, I said. For one thing, they somehow found keys down here. We never did that. And now they've got them both, and we don't have any. 
We'd be factoring them into our plans if we had them, right? So they must be doing that right now. Shit, man, they could come through the fridge if they wanted to anytime they want. We both stopped at this, momentarily chilled. So why haven't they, he said. I mean, if we want to get back to the right side, they must too. Why haven't they come through and given one key back to us? Maybe they know something we don't, I said, tired. Like where they found them in the first place. We sat in the hall for a minute, in glum silence. I stared at the coffee stain like it was an ink blot that would resolve into something sensible if I could just make my mind work the right way. There's other differences, I finally said. When I went down, I felt like something was wrong, and I went and hid like a baby. The other version of me didn't do that. We did different things. Yeah, he said, closing his eyes. I'm actually worried about that. You were just saying you wanted us to be unique. He rubbed his forehead. Maybe he was getting another headache. The two sides are nearly identical, as far as we can tell. The two versions of us are nearly identical, too. So far, at least. But I don't know. Maybe if we start acting different, if we diverge too far... What? He shrugged. Don't know. Just a thought. Probably garbage. Never mind. I closed my eyes and leaned my head back against the wall. Nico was scared. He stayed close to me almost all the time, hanging out in my room, by the TV, wherever I was. This was a familiar pattern, actually. Whenever he got overwhelmed, he made me his full-time validator, babbling his interior monologue, running every decision big and small by me, ending most sentences with, right? Or, yeah? It was like outsourcing his ego. I let him do it, like I always did, because it felt good to have him need me that much, but I felt guilty, too, because it couldn't be healthy. We kept talking, and eventually our half-assed theories crystallized into a plan. We rounded up a bunch of dice, some tarot and playing cards, loose change, a dreidel, and a stack of books, and devised a procedure, a ridiculously complicated procedure lasting almost an hour, to end up with two numbers after several dozen iterations, the first between 1 and 24, and the second between 1 and 60. An hour and a minute. The theory was that even if both sides were so close, even randomness tended to turn out the same. If we stacked that randomness on top of itself, compounding chance on chance, it might be a wedge to split that sameness apart. Nico showed me a tiny video on his computer about strange attractors, said this was chaos theory in action, the butterfly effect, whatever. We were making wild guesses. But the hope was that, even if the other versions of us were doing the exact same thing, following an identical procedure, their numbers would drift apart and they'd end up generating a completely different time, which would allow us to leave something for each other at a rendezvous point. The fridge is the natural spot, he said, right in the middle. Maybe they'll give us back our key, or leave a note with a better plan. We weren't sure what we could offer in return. Eventually, we decided on a message. I had a carbon paper memo pad from my dad's old office. Kind of a memento, but I wasn't feeling nostalgic. We could leave a handwritten note and keep a copy. So we had a plan. We just needed a time and something to say. In hindsight, Nico said, throwing back the last of the coffee and smacking his lips. Maybe we should have put a range on the fucking numbers. Dear God, I have to be at work in five hours. It was just after three in the morning, and we were prepping to go down. The time we generated was 3.41. We hoped for their sake the guys on the other side got something more reasonable. Nico was in a rough mood, and it wasn't just the time of day. His old jock friends had been ragging him the day before about not hanging out. I have to pretend sports bloopers are funny, Rye. It's horrible. Later he'd gotten a call from one or both of his parents about how his degree was progressing, which had apparently not gone well. He spent the rest of the day in his room with the door shut, blaring loud music, and apparently watching a friend's marathon, 
Every time I listened at his door, I kept hearing Joey say, How you doing? Laugh track. Maybe he was just watching the same episode on repeat. Late that night, I knocked again and reminded him we had a 3 a.m. date. A long and mournful stream of cuss words came muffled through the door. After an ominous silence, he opened it, looking bleak. Whose stupid idea was this again? He asked, then grimly set his alarm. We'd planned a quick trip in and out to minimize the chance of overlapping times. When we got to the kitchen, we'd leave the note in front of the fridge, since we couldn't actually open it ourselves, and immediately head back. If their time was earlier than ours, their message would already be there waiting, possibly with the key if they were feeling generous. If not, we'd come back the next day at some convenient time to check again. It all made sense, except we were making it all up and had no idea if any of this would work or if we were just playing make-believe. Swinging up the bed did feel ominous now, though. I noticed for the first time that it creaked. Stupid. We were girded up with supplies, even though it was supposed to be a quick trip. Three flashlights each, water bottles, even granola bars. We'd never seen anything dangerous down there, exactly. We just knew something wasn't right now. That it wasn't just a basement down there. We knew. We knew nothing. The truth is that despite our attempts to rationalize, to explain, we were blind. Shooting in the dark. Grasping at straws from sci-fi movies and bad dreams. We had no idea what was happening to us. We headed down, quietly, so as not to wake our housemates. Once we got downstairs, we followed the well-beaten path toward the room with the pool and the fridge. Nico was jumpy, especially when we got to the first staircase into the dark zone. Every shadow seemed ominous, and he muttered suspiciously at everything. I think this door moved. Or, someone's been here, I can feel it. I tried my best to keep things light, to reassure him. On our way down the twisting stairs to the octagon room, he stopped at one landing and glanced down the hall, branching off from it. With a choke, he stiffened and leapt back, gripping the flashlight like a sword. Jesus fucking Christ, he hissed. What the hell is that? I looked. Way down the hallway, past the reach of the flashlight, were two tiny glints, hovering maybe four feet off the ground, deep in the darkness. Eyes. My heart rate was through the roof and I couldn't breathe, but I raised my flashlight too, shined it down the hall. It revealed nothing but the glints. I felt paralyzed, but I saw how scared Nico was too. How close both of us were to panic. I gave him a mock salute. Later, skater, I said, and started down the hall. The fuck are you doing? Nico hissed from behind me, but I kept moving. I kept walking forward, eyes fixed on the glints, willing my light to get stronger, willing those eyes to resolve into something explainable, something benign. Shit, Nico said, and followed me. Shit, shit, shit. It only took a few more steps before we realized our mistake. The hall ended in a T-junction. About four feet off the floor was one of those fake candelabra. The glints had been our flashlights, reflecting off its dull metal sheen. I laughed. It was easy with all the relief flooding through me. See, there's enough weird shit going on without jumping at shadows. Nico forced a laugh out too, but his face was still pale and tense. How could you tell from back there? I shrugged. I couldn't. This was the quickest way to find out. Great, my hero. Glad you weren't mauled by a shadow bear. But he was smiling now, for real, and looking at me with respect. He was right. That was stupid. Bravado is exactly the wrong response to what's happening. Let's hurry and get this over with. I turned to walk back to the landing. But as we walked away, I couldn't help remembering how those glints had looked in the darkness before they'd resolved into something explainable. Like eyes, watching. Just because it's not real doesn't mean it can't hurt. I didn't look back. We made it the rest of the way to the pool room without incident and climbed the ladder. 
Nothing was waiting there for us, which I found mildly deflating, and it seemed to validate Nico's black mood. Although it makes sense statistically, I tried to point out, 4 out of 24, there's only a 1 in 6 chance they'd have gotten an earlier time. Feeling dumb, we positioned our note on the floor directly in front of the fridge. The message we'd decided on was simple, three lines on my dad's old while-you-were-out memo pad. Hey, it's us. Can we have a key? We'd like a way back. It felt ridiculous signing our own names to ourselves, so we'd signed it with a smiley face. Nico had left the carbon copy in his room as a record of the transaction, which made us feel more secure about the whole thing even if neither of us had any idea what use that could possibly be. We lingered, but in theory every minute just increased the odds of an overlap. So before long, we dropped back down to the concrete pool floor and headed back towards the top. On the way back up the twisting stairs, Nico paused at the same landing to look down the side hallway. He stopped again, but this time with a frown. It's gone, he said. We peered down the hall, flashlights held high. There were no glints now in the darkness at the end of the hall. Probably a different angle, I said, not very convincingly. I cleared my throat, trying to sound like the hero he'd made me out to be earlier. Um, should we go look, do you think? See if it's moved or something? He was still staring down the hallway. His expression hadn't changed, and his voice was strangely calm. No, he said. No, I don't think so. I think we should go back upstairs now. Is there, uh, do you see? My knees felt weak. Some hero. His eyes flicked to mine, then back down the hall. Our flashlight beams made it only halfway down its length before darkness swallowed them. Somewhere, at the gray and ghostly edges of our light, photons stopped bouncing back to us. The vanishing point drank them up. We strained to see through that darkness, but it was impenetrable. The silence was almost painful. Abruptly, Nico turned and started up the steps, calm and quiet and not looking back, and I was right behind him. Good call. Once we got back up to the house... Their house, a voice in my head reminded me. We went out onto the porch to decompress. Nico smoked a cigarette, something he'd given up multiple times, but I wasn't in the mood to play life coach again. We'd had vague thoughts of catching the sunrise, but it was still too early for even a hint of dawn. So we learned something, he finally said, flicking ash. We know there's something down there. An intelligence. How do you figure? I was blindsided by this. The glints. Something knows we're down there. It's fucking with us. You're reading way too much into it. I didn't want any part of this theory. Oh, we probably weren't standing at the same angle, or we're holding our lights different. Something. Besides, weren't you the one joking about shadow bears? Where do you get off now with unintelligence? He got up and stubbed out his cigarette. Something made all that, he said, and went back inside. He stayed in his room all the next day. When I was a kid, I got way into swimming one year, another obsession. I started going to the rec center pool every day after school, having mom drop me off there on weekends. They had a swim program, and I shot through all the rankings. Minnow, fish, flying fish, salmon, shark, tiger shark. I swam. I don't recall especially enjoying it. It was just something I did, like a job. Then at school one day, someone asked me why I was so into it, and I couldn't tell them. I could hold my breath for forever, which helped, but hardly seemed like a good reason. The truth was I had no idea why I was doing it, and that terrified me. What had made me start? I couldn't remember. I felt almost violated, possessed, like some outside force had tricked me into driving all my thoughts and energies into moving back and forth through lanes of water over and over again for months on end. I stopped not long after, in part because I was hitting puberty and changing clothes in front of other guys was becoming more and more mortifying, but 
I think really it was because I couldn't explain that compulsion, and it scared me. I felt it again, now. I wanted to be back downstairs. Sure, I could rationalize this away. The only way back home was down there. It was an excuse to spend time with Nico. We had an experiment to follow up on. But the real reason was that I wanted to find out what was down there more than anything. I was driven to. Something was driving me. At least that's how it felt. I didn't mention any of this to Nico. I knew if I did, it might put him off exploring altogether. We went down to follow up on our experiment when he came out of his funk at the end of a nervous afternoon of excuses. Eventually, he couldn't put me off anymore. I had to see if there'd been a response to our note. The route was getting familiar. We traced our way through the upper hallways, down the long stair into the dark zone, through to the octagon room, and down the twisting stairs with the weird landings. When we passed the one with the glints, neither of us stopped. We pointedly did not even glance down it. Glints, no glints, neither would have been especially reassuring. We passed down the stretch with no doors to the pool room and pulled ourselves up the ladder, but to our vague disappointment we saw at once that nothing had changed. Our note was still sitting there in front of the fridge exactly where we'd left it. No key, no sign anyone had been there since us. Nico tugged half-heartedly on the fridge door, still locked. Maybe our theory's wrong, I said. Lots of guesswork in there. But which part? He slumped against the fridge in frustration. Shit. Back to ground zero, I guess. Not necessarily. I didn't want him to lose hope. Maybe something came up on their side and they couldn't make it down yesterday. Or, you know, they got eaten by the shadow bear. Nico didn't smile. I shrugged. Let's give him another day or two. He was gripping his temples. I'm getting sick of these headaches, man. I'm tired of this. We've been acting like everything's okay, but it's not. It's really profoundly not. How much time do you think we have to figure this thing out? Something's slipping away, Rye. Can't you feel it? Sighing, I bent down to pick up the note. I stared again at what we'd written, Nico's handwriting, the words, our little three-line cone to ourselves. It suddenly seemed very stupid. Of course nothing had happened. We were inventing causalities out of pure fantasy, trying to operate a machine without knowing how it worked or if it even existed. Maybe we didn't have alter egos in some other dimension. Maybe... I blinked. I'd been staring at the note this whole time. Something had been bothering me about it, though I hadn't consciously realized what. But now, like an optical illusion popping into place, I suddenly did. The note was almost the same as the one we'd left, but not quite. Nico, I gasped, breath failing me. It changed. It's a different note. Oh, shit, they wrote back. He grabbed it from me, and for a second I could see him struggle to see it because the change was so small. This note had the same handwriting, was written on the same memo pad sheet. Then it clicked for him too, and his jaw clenched tight. The message was still exactly in the middle, just as ours had been. Only a couple words had changed, like they'd been trying to convey a new meaning with the smallest amount of difference. Hey, it's us. Cannot have a key. You'd stay a way back. It was still signed with a smiley face, but now instead of dots for eyes above the curved mouth, there were circles, big ones, like someone wide-eyed with fear or shock, grinning. I looked at the chrome surface of the locked refrigerator, and my skin started to crawl. I hope you're enjoying this audio version of Subcutanean, but this is just one way the story could go. Find out how to get your own unique version by searching for Subcutanean on Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, or Indiegogo. And thanks for listening.